Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I am so incredibly glad that you're here. Today, we are going to talk about starvation and about developing hunger. And I will just start off by saying, I have not been feeling super well this week. I've been battling a cough. And so I'm hoping that somewhere in the middle of this, I don't go into a major coughing fit. Help me, Jesus. Um, And so please excuse me if I do. I'm sure that would be quite enjoyable to listen to. Over the past couple of months, I have had several people make comments or ask about developing the habit of Bible reading and prayer with busy kids or being a working mom or being a single mom or developing this habit during really busy seasons. And next week, I am going to do an episode on developing the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer during busy seasons. And I promise you, it's going to be fluff and grace. But before I did that, I wanted to do an episode on starvation. These two are really going to be a two-part series. They're going to work in conjunction because I think before we can talk about giving ourselves grace in really busy seasons and before we can talk about just getting little bites of food in here and there, we need to talk about starvation and we need to talk about coming to see this habit as absolutely indispensable if we are going to survive. We need to have the proper perspective on this habit. This is not an optional habit if we're going to survive spiritually. This is not something that's good to do or something that gives you inspiration. This is how we survive. This is how we keep ourselves from deception. This is how we learn to walk with God. And this is how we make it all the way to heaven. And so I really felt so strongly that before I could do an episode about developing the habit in busy seasons or seasons where we really can't consume as much of the word of God, just because, again, of time constraints or whatever, um, that I had to just talk about the absolute imperative nature of this habit. So many, many years ago, when I taught Sunday school, so this has been at least 10 years ago, I taught a lesson to our youth Sunday school class on starvation. And out of all the Sunday school lessons I've ever taught, it probably has stuck with me the most. So many people live their lives in starvation mode. You have to remember, we are all flesh and spirit. We have our flesh, which is our natural appetites, our appetites for food and other things that we just naturally crave. 
And we also have our spirit man. And one of those two is going to win out our flesh or our spirit. And it is going to be determined by who we feed. We are going to hunger for something. And what we eat determines what we hunger for. And it also determines which of those two wins out, our spirit or our flesh. And again, so many people live in spiritual starvation. The Bible talks about how there's going to be a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. And I believe we have a famine for hearing the word of the Lord in North America, even while we have stacks of Bibles laying around our homes. Again, it's a self-imposed famine. And we don't eat the word of God because we are full of the wrong things. Obviously, I would not expect non-Christians to read the Word of God. That's kind of a given. But even a lot of Christians and even a lot of apostolic Christians eat very sporadically. And so imagine how you would feel if you ate a giant meal on Sunday morning. You had steak, you had mashed potatoes, you had asparagus, you had a little side salad, you had cheesecake and strawberries for dessert, you had coffee with it. Just had this amazing gourmet meal prepared by a gourmet chef. And then Sunday night, you had some down-home good cooking. You had macaroni and cheese and a pulled pork sandwich and some uh, steamed broccoli or sautéed broccoli. And you had just this um, another amazing meal that was prepared for you by a gourmet chef. And then you didn't eat anything Monday. You didn't eat anything Tuesday. You didn't eat anything all day Wednesday until Wednesday night. And then you had another really good solid meal. Then you didn't eat anything Thursday. You didn't eat anything Friday. And you maybe took a couple of nibbles on Saturday here or there. little scripture that you ran across on somebody's Instagram feed. That is how a lot of Christians eat spiritually. I've talked to many, many, many people that have never learned how to self-feed. They only eat when they're fed from the pulpit. And so again, if you ate like that, even if you didn't starve to death, you would be very malnourished and you would be uh, very, very unhealthy to say the least. Your body would not know how to process food and it received it. probably wouldn't know how to extract the nutrients from it because it went from you know, those pendulum swings of great nutrition and to no nutrition. And so when we're starving, starving physically, there's a lot of effects. I am not going to talk about all the effects of starvation on our natural bodies, but there are just a couple that I want to highlight. There's an irritable mood that sets in when people are starving. Fatigue is a side effect or a symptom of starvation. When people are starving, they get cold. And wow, will that preach. If you want to get cold spiritually, don't eat. Wow. Muscles break down and organs are used as energy source. We lose heart and kidney mass. Um, There's a doctor, Nancy Zucker, who's a director of the Duke Center for Eating Disorders. And she said, You're consuming your own muscle, including the heart muscle. And so if you want to lose heart spiritually, don't eat spiritual food. Starvation literally wrecks havoc on a person's immune system. And so again, those are just some of the symptoms and the side effects of people starving physically. And I think those have a correlation directly into the spiritual. 
Also, when people starve, they eat the wrong things. I have read stories of people eating all kinds of crazy things. When you're starving, things that would not have been previously considered a food source become a food source. People eat rodents. They eat leaves. They eat grass. They eat dirt. They eat toothpaste. There's stories of people that have been on ships in the middle of ocean that have eaten boots to survive. We eat the wrong things when we're starving. And we are far more open to deception when we are facing spiritual starvation. Again, things look good to us that would not look good to us if we were not spiritually starving. And when people have been starving... Food has to be slowly reintroduced. You can't take a person, I don't know if you've probably seen those pictures of people that are just completely emaciated. Their bodies are shrunken, their stomachs are swollen, their eyes are sunk in. They have really truly been starved, maybe in a prison camp, maybe um, for any number of different reasons. Those people cannot be taken and given a four-course or five-course meal. They can't even be given one course. They have to be under medical supervision, and they have to have slow, small introduction of food happen to get their uh, systems and their body up and running again. And so a lot of times it'll be glucose mixed with water at first just to get some sugar introduced into their system. And then small amounts of food in some countries where there's a lot of starvation, they have peanut paste that they give them. But again, it has to be slowly introduced. And so when we are starving spiritually, when we've been starving ourselves spiritually, it's very important that we, again, we're not going to read 22 chapters. Our spiritual system probably isn't going to know how to process that. And we probably aren't going to come back for more, but we have to slowly reintroduce food into our spiritual systems. And you can go back and listen to the episode on starting small. I think starting small is very important when we're incorporating this habit into our lives. Um, One of the things that's really interesting about starvation is when people are starving, whether it's self-imposed starvation or, again, starvation due to extenuating circumstances that cannot be helped, people eventually lose their hunger signals And those, again, those hunger signals have to be revived and triggered by the slow introduction of food. And so if we are going to hunger for the word of God, we have to eat the word of God. It is really impossible to hunger for what we never eat. Hunger is increased by greater consumption. And you think about Once those hunger signals are reintroduced, we then have to grow our capacity to eat food. And you think about your stomach, people can stretch their stomachs over time by eating more and more and more food. That's how some people become very overweight. They overeat one day and they overeat the next day and they overeat the next day and over time your stomach's ability to to handle food grows and the same thing happens in the spiritual the more we eat the more we'll be able to eat and the more we eat the more we'll hunger to eat and so that is how we overcome spiritual starvation 
we slowly reintroduce the word of God into our lives. And as those hunger signals pick up, we feed ourselves more and more. And eventually, we just hunger for the word of God and eating becomes indispensable to us. We know our hunger signals. We know what happens when we don't eat spiritual food and it really becomes a self-perpetuating habit. But again, I really just wanted to talk about that today about so many people living in spiritual starvation mode, the effects of starvation in our lives, the lack of hunger signals when we're starving and how to overcome that and how to reintroduce food for greater spiritual hunger. And so I hope that all makes sense. That that little thought of spiritual starvation has really stuck with me since I initially taught that Sunday school lesson years ago. And I hope that just comes across with the right spirit, not to be hammered into your head, but just to be eye-opening that we have got to see this habit as indispensable as we see food to our natural physical selves. We all make sure that somehow we get some shreds of food into our body one way or another. And so again, this episode is going to work in conjunction with how to develop this habit in a busy season. And I just wanted to remind you that this is so imperative. We have to eat the word of God. Today, I'm going to share an entry called In the Presence of Mine Enemies. It doesn't have anything necessarily to do directly with starvation, but it does have to do with the verse in Psalm 23, where David says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. God knows how to feed us even when there are obstacles, even when it's difficult and when it's challenging. And so I hope this little entry is a blessing to you today. I start off with a quote by Trapp, as quoted by David Guzik. A sheep, saith Aristotle, is a foolish and sluggish creature, aptest to wander, though it feel no want and unablest to return. A sheep can make no shift to save itself from tempest or inundation. There it stands and will perish, if not driven away by the shepherd. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Psalm 23, 5. Psalm 23 has amazed me in recent history. Wow. God has squeezed drop after drop of comfort and beauty out of it. It is a breathtaking image painted with David's pen that oozes with the reality of dark shadows, bright highlights, and bold colors. Green pastures, pitch black valleys, and the golden highlights of goodness and mercy woven throughout it all. It is no surprise that the words of the sweet shepherd turned king have been a consolation to untold masses throughout the ages. David knew both the heart of a shepherd and the weak, foolish nature of sheep. He knew both the serene settings of still waters and green pastures, yet also knew the reality of treacherous valleys and present enemies. He knew the care, comfort, and concern of a shepherd's heart, and he also knew the discipline and protection of a shepherd's staff. 
One of the most beautiful aspects of David's writings, in my opinion, is that he does not deny the existence of fears and feelings. He is not in denial of circumstances and situations. He often conveys real pain, real struggle, real hardship, real adversity, but he always comes back with worship or truth or the acknowledging of God in spite of the present realities. David's pen represent, or repeatedly relates raw, unfiltered, vulnerable, broken images of his heart. And what a gift this is to those of us who are following along behind through our own green pastures and dark valleys. Psalm 23 is no exception to this facet of David. He says, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. He conveys to his shepherd that, oh yes, the valley is real and he's walking through, but the presence of the shepherd defines the valley, not the fear. He'll pass through the valley because he's not alone in the valley. What a beautiful statement of confidence in the shepherd's heart and the shepherd's leading. He goes on to say, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. David again acknowledges that the enemies are real and the enemies are present, but in spite of that, the shepherd prepares a table there. This is not an image of a quick brown bag lunch offered in a hurried fashion, but the shepherd with care and intentionality serving up his best fare in no rush while enemies look on. Charles Spurgeon said, When a soldier is in the presence of enemies, if he eats at all, he snatches a hasty meal, and away he hastens to the fight. But observe, thou preparest a table before me, just as a servant does when she unfolds the damask cloth and displays the ornaments of the feast on an ordinary peaceful occasion. Nothing is hurried, there is no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door, and yet God prepares a table and the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. With foresight and care, he feeds and simultaneously protects while enemies look on. He is not ruffled and flustered by the proximity of the foe, for he is the one who determines how close they can get. Though enemies are present, his constant care and close protection will feed and nourish there. Sometimes he allows the enemies to linger. Could he do away with them? Oh yes, most certainly. Like the 185,000 Assyrians that fell in one day by one angel, no enemy can stand when he gives the word for their destruction. Sometimes he just chooses to care for us and lead us and work in us while they look on. They may snarl and lurk. They may even assume they will imminently destroy us. But he allows for our care in their presence. Maybe to build our faith and teach faint-hearted sheep that the shepherd always holds the final answer and is shaken by nothing, by no enemy. Maybe he allows the enemy to remain because he enjoys having an unwelcome audience while he does some of his finest work. Maybe the yet present enemy creates a greater bond between the sheep and the shepherd and he knows this. 
Maybe the nearness of the enemy keeps the sheep dependent on the shepherd and preserves its prone-to-wander self. Maybe it keeps the sheep close. Why he prepares a table in the presence of enemies, I do not know, but he does, and I'm so grateful for a shepherd who cares for me, even when the fiercest of enemies look on. He is truly the good shepherd. One of the other beautiful things about Psalm 23 is the striking contrast of scenery it portrays. Though it clearly paints the aforementioned valley and the present enemies, it also conveys the realities of lush, viridescent meadows and calm waters. Though the valleys, the valley is long and enemies seem to lurk endlessly, such will not always be the case. There will be fresh seasons, and the shepherd will lead to a new scene in his perfect time. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. It is hysterical that it says he has to make me lie down. I identify with that, lol. A fresh, beautiful place with a restored soul will come. Psalm 23 declares it. I could go on, for there is so much beauty that drips from this simple common chapter, but I'll stop there. Psalm 23 is proof that God's word is always fresh. Though I've read it a million times and I assume there's nothing more to see, God can use the simplicity and power of his written word to wrap my wounded heart again. Psalm 23 is common for a reason, and it may be common, but it's always comforting. I will close with the beautiful words of Charles Spurgeon citing Beecher. It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains, and like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master and consoled those whom dying he left behind mourning. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is no lack while my shepherd leads the way. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I just wanted to remind you again that God will feed you even when there are obstacles in the way of being fed. If you've been starving, no condemnation. If you've been eating three meals a week or one meal a week or four meals a week, no condemnation. Just determine that you have to get spiritual food into your system and just slowly start reintroducing small amounts of the Word of God. I promise you that you will in time hunger for what you're eating 
You can't hunger for it if you don't. But if you will start introducing it, you will become so hungry for the Word of God. And in closing, I want to read Job 23.12. Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Oh, that we would come to that place of loving the Word of God and esteeming the Word of God over our daily food. We absolutely need it to survive, especially in this day and in this hour. So happy eating. I hope you enjoy whatever little word God cooks up for you today. Thank you so, so much for joining me for this journey. I'm so incredibly glad to have you here. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit meganedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday.